Why you keep holding it in? You about to suffocate. Smoke stay all on my lips, not in my mother's face. Home, but you gone, got my sis. She got my mother's face. Alone, put the chalk on my bliss. That's another grave. Bony fingers roping the twist. I couldn't cut the pain. I only bring the moments I miss. Under the summer rain, my heart glows straight through the mist. Hissing the other strange noises, they fade in the mix. Glitching my cluttered brain, avoiding the state of assist. Mischief for all the lame choices, high laying my shit. No, it's a number game. So to play off of kind of something we'll talk about later, um, or something we'll talk about now, I guess I'm gonna like skip over and get into the the first segment early. Um, to play off of the GCW doing the backyard shows, and then me and you both having our kind of like backyard wrestling names. I think me more than you. I don't think you actually did any backyard wrestling, um, but you know, to, this week we are Doctor Wagner and Mister Payne, because. Um, Quentin, you you said that your backyard name was Andre Wagner, and then if people want to look me up, I'm Justin Payne. I think there might be videos of my backyard wrestling stuff online. Um, how how old how old would that stuff be then? For me, oh geez, yeah. Um, well, I mean, I'm like 32 this year. At the end of this year, a lot of that stuff happened when I was like, I don't know, like 17, 18 years old. So it'd be like eight to ten years old at this point, honestly, like in that range. Jeez. Uh, or I guess like 15 to 20, no, no, actually, ah, like eight to five years old, I guess would be the, the reference, but there was some stuff online at some point. I've never posted anything of mine, um, intentionally online, but, uh, but some other people did. So you can find some stuff from there. My shit was like nothing compared to what happened on this GCW backyard show. Um, which I don't know. Did you watch the whole show? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think I watched most of it unless there was, um. I saw something about like a like a cop being there, and I wasn't sure if that was legit. But I think I watched most of the show. Yeah, I think I don't know because the ending they did like you know the the typical like it gets shut down by the cops, but they even referenced like you know the fact that like how are you gonna end a backyard show but having the cops show up? So I wasn't sure if that was real or if it was all right, kind of hokey, whatever. Um, the show itself was pretty good. There was some interesting stuff throughout the show. Um, obviously, what we're talking about is GCW. They did a backyard themed wrestling show that included a lot of like mainstream talent referencing like their backyard history there was definitely some backyard stars who were definitely missing um one guy who i thought of today because i was i was just like looking at stuff online in general on my youtube i didn't even think about it as referencing it but freddie hi i think is a, a backyarder who gets overlooked but like his YouTube channel is, you know, BCWA or BA, BCAW or whatever it is. I don't even know. Oh, yeah. I, yeah, total yarder. Like, yeah. It, it, gets, it gets forgotten because of the way, because of the style he wrestles. But, yeah, like, complete yard boy. Yeah, and, like, his history was yard. And, like, I didn't even think about it. But then I was, like, looking up. I was looking up something randomly. And then I came across that because I'm subscribed to the channel still. And he still uploads, like, his normal stuff on that channel. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, <laughs> this is fred yehai's youtube channel and he uploads his own like kind of like you know mainstream pro wrestling stuff but 
he was a yarder and there's a lot of like that you know and i think he's a guy who could have been on this show probably should have been on this show for being perfect then um obviously like obviously like travel wise it probably wouldn't have worked out but like dan makabe yard, right. yard guy but right. people don't think about that because of the style so there's, there's a few guys that could have been on here oh yeah for sure but but the show itself was pretty good it was fun um it's clearly you know what they're going for i think I think maybe I'm a little bit more into the GCW kind of ethos than you are. I don't know how much you like buy into everything that's happening on GCW as being positive or like even really caring much about it. Um, but but I I think that with a lot of the stuff that they do, even if it's not 100% like what I'm into, I'm like really happy that a promotion exists that can book stuff like this, can book you know Janela Spring Break, can book you know the 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 Bloodsport be it riddle or be it josh barnett like versions of doing like all of that stuff like having the 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 mix of styles and being able to bring things that are different and interesting to more of a mainstream audience to me i'm like all a fan of i don't know like where do you come down on gcw as a whole and like this kind of thing you know what i mean them doing something that's very hardcore themed i mean like i'm glad that a promotion can get away with doing stupid shit like this like it's sort of endearing and refreshing to see a promotion get this sort of a leash and rope to explore and do creative and sometimes borderline idiotic things but in the end it all works out because people are so invested in the brand personally it's not my cup of tea i don't i don't want to be that guy but usually when i'm watching wrestling i prefer it to be like i guess what i think good wrestling is and that's not exactly what GCW is or aims to be. So it's not going to be exactly my cup of tea. If there's people that just want their wrestling to be fun, mindless, they think the wrestling should be dumb and shouldn't overthink things and GCW drop right up their alley. But for me, someone that wants a little bit more personal investment into what's going on in my wrestling, GCW isn't what I point to. But it's definitely stuff that I like to throw on and just mindlessly watch from time to time. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a good way to describe it. I personally, I think I'm a little bit more, maybe a little bit more forgiving on on, on the level of stuff being, <laughs> just like, for lack of a better term, bad. You know, because, like, I do like, you know, I, I think, you know, there's me and, and a handful of people who are very hardcore into shoot style, yourself included. And, like, then when we start getting into the people who enjoy, like, shoot style and also enjoy, like, world of sport level shoot style where the shit is just like completely like presented to you as a mainstream you know athletic endeavor um and 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 i get that but i also like have the mix of like growing up at the time that i did being someone who did you know shoot like did backyard wrestling someone who was a big fan of ecw bullshit like i also can get into stuff like this that's just like really fucking stupid and i don't know if that's you know that only comes with my time only comes with my opinion or comes with the fact that like i'm more open to just like stuff doesn't always have to be exactly like what's my favorite but it can definitely be like something that i can appreciate and if more people are appreciating it too that like helps because you know famously there's a lot of not famously but like historically there's a lot of wrestling fans who like are really into stuff based almost primarily on like you know fan recognition and like the the reaction of the crowd you know like kevin Hare, i'll give a shout out to him uh former you know co-host of uh of burning spirits podcast um 
like it feels like a lot of matches to him like what it really comes down to is crowd reaction makes like the biggest deal f- based like for what's good and this show the crowd was not huge but the crowd was definitely into everything so it's kind of hard to argue with that if like if your kind of takeaway from wrestling is like crowd you know participation or crowd enjoyment but oh and clear and like i'm not always like it's all about the good wrestling like i really like ddt so clearly it's not always like a real like like top to bottom great wrestling thing most of my favorite promotions aren't completely serious all the way through or have its comedic comedic moments and all that stuff ott is another one where it has your extremely serious stuff like your Devlin Walter star storylines, but then there's people like LJ Cleary and Club Tropicana that I really enjoy. So it's not exactly that, but GCW honestly kind of like, like for their non mania weekend stuff, they kind of lack the variety of serious, I think for the most part. Right. And I think that's why GCW for the most, for the most part, isn't exactly what I, what I usually aim for. No, and 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 I don't. Uh, I definitely enjoy what they're doing. I don't consider them even in my conversation for top promotions of the year, which is interesting because that's like a point of contention that I've had historically with Dylan Hales. I'll give him an, another shout out, so hopefully he can you know talk about us again on uh, on the Pro Wrestling Pondering um, podcast. But uh, but like you know historically, Dylan Hales, I feel like is even more open to the idea of stuff that doesn't fit his taste can be the best thing that exists and he's multiple times talked about gcw as being the best promotion in the world and i can't go that far personally because i just there's a, there's something missing you know and like tony deppen almost hits that role um as like he can fill in for that but like not enough and they they have stuff that i enjoy and they do a lot of really fun stuff especially in the deathmatch realm and like that's almost kind of the problem here with like something like this backyard show is good but i felt like nothing in here really hit that level of like what can make gcw special which is like particularly deathmatch stuff and nothing here like it may have been like it was like backyardy and backyard like i i don't consider backyard wrestling deathmatch wrestling you know what i mean like i think of those as two separate things and i think that they definitely hit the backyard end of things but i didn't feel like anything here was like felt like a deathmatch in the and that's not i mean i don't think that that's a crazy take to have like what do you think like comparatively oh no it's more like like if anyone's ever like delved into a youtube search of watching backyard wrestling you know that they use typical plunder that they've seen on uh tv wrestling your tables your chairs and all that stuff and occasionally you'll delve into some something like fire and barbed wire but i think a lot of it is more like plunder brawly than it is a death match and in saying that while nothing on here was like soup was like deathmatch like and it was very backyardy in that you have an alex zane who isn't a deathmatch guy or anything but he'd probably be a pretty good deathmatch guy if he gave it a shot but alex zane going being able to go out there and just do all the crazy shit that he's been doing in all his all his time in wrestling and busting out a Six the six thirty six thirty tope, like that makes the rounds, and here we are with GCW possibly creating another star overnight. Yeah, and exactly, he's another you know ten year vet overstar sensation kind of guy, and he does stand out. And you're right because in in the context of a deathmatch show, Alex Zane 
maybe doesn't even have the space to exist, let alone become a star off of the show, you know? And so what he does here stands out huge. The match itself I thought was phenomenal. Like, and for the, for the setting, like, like I'm, I'm going to give a lot of points for the setting here. Right. Like these are guys that actually, that have like actual matches and like, at like, in like serious settings and all that stuff. And I think they put, put something together that for the most part was like just as good mechanically as they would anywhere else. And I was really impressed by that. Yeah. And, and, and a big part of it was Deppin. I mean, I hate to say this cause I'm a huge Alex Zane fan. And I think everyone, anyone who follows me on social media, anyone who follows this show, I think would already know at this point that like, I think that I think the world of Alex Zane, I really do think that he, he's like a, could be a big time star level guy, but Tony Deppin, I think th- th- there's no argument against Tony Deppin as like a really modern day, kind of you know dean malenko modern day fucking just like worker who he's, can he's filling mix. trevor lee's old old role like like everywhere like the stuff that trevor lee used to do and everywhere that wasn't cwf yes like that's what tony deppin is doing yes if if tony deppin had a place where he could be a uh, trevor lee level you know have an hour or plus you know main event title match i would love to see that i don't know i couldn't say 100 that he can do it but that is a good comparison you'd for love to see else. him try yeah i'd love to see him try and i think that a really good comparison for everything else but like early on in the match i was just like tony deppin has this fucking record or has this you know this kind of reputation of being the guy who can work with anyone and make anyone look good and then this match starts out and then within moments it's just like Oh, holy shit like this guy's not just he can do that with schlack you know what i mean or this guy he can do that with ktb he can do that with alex zane in a backyard fest where he's still you know hitting him at every moment with the trading back and forth there's no like it doesn't there's no like missing kind of movements there's nothing that feels awkward Everything is super smooth. And this is in a completely different setting than anything you've ever seen before at a Deppin. And that's the thing where it's just like, Tony Deppin might be the best wrestler on the planet and people just don't realize. This is famous, I I won't say famously because it's it's not correct, but this is historically something that I said to to Rocky Romero years and years ago at a PWG show. I said, I think you might be secretly the best wrestler on the world because I think that... There is something to these people who mechanically have everything there, but it's not always like kind of shown because they they fit a different role. And Deppin is in that conversation where I'm just like, this guy can do everything. There isn't a single thing that Deppin can't do. And there's a lot of wrestlers who don't even come close to like being able to argue those same points. And early on in this match, I was just like, Deppin is there blow for blow with everything Alex Zane will do. The fucking... Um, shooting star off the trailer was like already impressive but i always <laughs> add points to like when you land and there's a cinder block or something dangerous nearby so when he hits the ground and then you see the cinder block that was right where he fucking almost hit i'm just like well that's like plus two like incredibility just the fact that like you did this flip with a cinder block nearby and then continuing to just like show everything off these guys kill it the 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 fucking tope suicida um uh canadian destroyer is fucking wild and would be probably the spot of the of the night or the spot of the match at least if it wasn't for the big finishing spot which is like becomes the story of the whole show 
I don't think there's anything else that comes off of the show that has a bigger impact than the you know the finishing spot from from Alex Zane. Like, I don't know. What do you think coming from like after that, or, or even big picture, like the whole show overall? Like, is there anything that can come close to comparing to that? I mean, no, because at the end of the day, what like it shocked me because I wasn't watching the show live, so I was going on about my day and I'm refresh refreshing my feed and. I see this Alex Zane six thirty tope going going viral. It's like oh shit! Like Alex Zane is guy that I got introduced last year and really took a liking to, and he go and I knew he was like crazy athletic, but seeing him bust that out, and it was one of those moments where we like, last week we talked about the Indies drying drying up and everything, and here we are. A week later and it's like oh shit like Alex Zane just did this did this crazy tope and now he's probably gonna start getting a lot of bookings everywhere at least hopefully but like you know the last year or two years we've seen GCW be the place where people become stars and really create these um narratives for themselves and start getting the platform and I think Alex Zane is looking like the next guy that could be doing that and I guess I do have the, I have a question in that is I think it's undoubt, un, undoubtedly true that GCW is probably like the only star factory in like on the, on the indie scene. Correct. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing else in American Indies that makes stars at this. Well, I, not even American Indies. Like, like you're like Europe. There's no place that is generating stars the way GCW is. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah, that's, that's 100 percent true. So I, I was thinking, I was thinking about it, and I like to, I like giving GCW credit for these things. A lot of the time, I think a lot of the time, I do think that stuff is planned. I think Jungle Boy was like clearly a plan. I think Marco Stunt was a plan. But I wonder, on some level, when do we keep giving them credit for guys going out there and just doing something that takes that, that they take notice of? Like, if Alex Zane, by the end of July, middle of August, is uh, looking at a few PWG dates, AAW, Beyond, um, more frequent freelance bookings, Defy, and stuff, and stuff along those lines, do we give GCW credit for Alex Zane going viral? Yeah, I mean, Alex Zane feels more in the realm of, like, something that's real, I guess, and not, like, planned as much, not as much, like, the expectation. I feel like Right, because sh- I think the thing, the thing with GCW, at least to me, is while I love the fact that we have, uh, like, at least one true star maker on the indies, it feels like on some level that we don't really talk about the fact that a lot of time it is super manufactured. And I like that's what wrestling is, but it feels like the dialogue around GCW was that like, wow, they snapped their fingers and this guy's a star. It's like, well, no, but most of the time they're like planning this. Zayn feels like the one where it's like it doesn't seem particularly planned. Zayn feels more out of nowhere than anything else. But you also made the point. I mean, everyone that that you could say is a GCW star, a star that GCW made, like you could kind of make the argument is like they were something that was bubbling underneath. And I think that even Alex Zane, you could kind of say like, we, 
we've seen how good Alex Zane is. It was just needing the right setting. And how much credit do you give GCW for putting together the, the perfect setting? Because right. we've seen Alex Zane have a amazing match uh, to me. And I, I said it, I've said it before. I'll, you know, I, I, I'm not going to like, I'm, I don't need to defend myself here, but just in case anyone like, you know, thinks that I'm just like talking, like, you know, kind of adjusting my takes on things. You, like, you can listen to me historically say this shit on podcasts. But last year, my favorite Dan Makabe, my wrestler of the year last year, his best match, I said, was the Alex Zane match. You know what I mean? So it's like there is kind of that 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 space for someone who's like actually paying attention. I don't think that it's that crazy to say that Alex Zane can have this level of match, but th- this may have been the perfect setting to allow him to do what's going to make him stand out. It's the perfect right. setting for a place where people are going to pay the most attention to him doing exactly that. Like I can definitely see making that argument for GCW, but again, like, is that an argument? Did, how much do you believe that they did that? You know what I mean? Like how much do you believe that they really saw that this was the setting to make Alex Zane and jungle boy jungle boy is an interesting one comparatively because it felt like jungle boy was kind of like a connection between PWG and GCW is kind of like what put together. And that you could even make a similar argument for Marco stunt where it was like Marco stunt had a big showing in GCW and then he was announced to be on Bola like a week within a week of that it may have been like a month or two later when he showed up at bola but it felt like the announcement was were connected in a way that was like okay this is a big deal and then you can almost argue that since then marco stunt has lost like that level of star power i don't know if it's still there and i, th- I think i think the injury hurt him a lot yeah the injury the hurt injury him the, yeah yeah the, i think the injury and when he um i think it broke it broke his leg right yeah yeah, I think I think the injury really really took a took a took a lot of wind out of his sails. Yeah, I'm not sure, I'm not sure Marco sort of um, I don't want to say burns out so quick because I st- I still think like, granted like really depleted scene currently, but Marco is still one of the bigger names out there. But I don't think his cachet kind of goes down as as fast as it does if Marco doesn't get injured in such an untimely fashion. And unfortunately, and maybe fortunately. For in some ways, but unfortunately for Marco, it, unless he can like you know be the best brother on the whole planet, but like you can compare it or at least like make the reference to this show, this backyard wrestling show. He wrestles his younger brother Logan Stunt, and I think if Marco doesn't take the doesn't have the layoff that he does, doesn't show back up when he does, and and continues to be his own thing, I think he's a big time star. But I think that Logan having the chance to break out concurrently now with Marco. I think Logan kind of outshot outshines Marco. I think Logan to me. I think, I think I think the best case scenario for those guys, and this sort of off topic, I think the best case scenario is run with the tag team thing. Yes, run with it. Like, like there is a real lack of great tag team wrestling going on right now in 2019. It we're probably going to see the same problem in 2020. If you run with the tag team thing, you guys could really make some noise. Yeah, and like I that, think like that's... that like. That would, that would be my idea. Yeah, and that's 100% true because I think that to, to what I was even kind of hinting at, I think that if if you think about it, if you kind of continue to push the narrative of them as singles workers, I think unfortunately they compete with each other in a way where they cancel each other out because I think that mechanically in ring, I think Logan is a better worker and I think that, you know, that kind of 
untangible it factor. I think Marco has the, the more star power just naturally. And I think that rather than kind of negating each other as two singles acts who compete and then just get like compared to each other and essentially just negate each other because you go like, well, you know, I like Logan better because I think he's a better worker or someone else goes like, ah, I just like Marco better because I think he's a bigger star. And, and all you do is like argue between the two and you don't ever let either one of them really feel like they break out. I think as a tag team, yeah, they can counteract each other. They can fill in with each other's gaps and they can make a bigger famous act between the two without having this like natural competition that people are just like not investing in them because they're busy like arguing between who's better. Right. So I think that that's a, mm. a really good point. I think that you made a, a, an amazing point there that I had not really completely thought through that they would just be better off to lean in. And especially they have a great tag team name. The stunt doubles. That's a great tag that's team. A, name. Like, it's set up so perfectly yeah. for them. Yeah. If they lean into the tag team thing, like they would immediately be the hottest tag team on the Indies, I think. Yeah, because the Young Bucks are gone, and I think that they can really fit a role that's like similar to the Young Bucks or similar to uh, you know some other tag teams that existed um, with someone that I know that uh, Logan Stunt is a big fan of in Speedball, Mike Bailey. Um, he's had a couple different tag teams, including one with uh, uh, you know Light Speed or Midnight Express or Moonlight Express with uh, um, in DDC, and then also he famously, or historically, tagged with uh, Takashita, <laughs> Kinosuke Takashita in the past. Um, um, Haguchi tag team for a little bit. Which was also another great tag team. So I think that Logan, maybe he wants to be a singles, and I know that, you know, I've been told he's a big fan of, of Speedball Mike Maley. Well, I mean, he should probably learn to appreciate just how good of a tag worker Speedball is. Because I think that a lot of people, especially American fans, overlook how good of a tag worker Speedball is in ddt with like i we've mentioned a lot of people but particularly a guy who's like the ace of ddt and kanosuke takashita former uh, kod tag team champions with kanosuke takashita one of the best in the world but i think that you wanted to talk about takashita tonight right uh, uh, am i uh, am i incorrect in in, in bringing that up quentin i mean yeah a little bit but i'm not sure if you like watched all the takashita stuff that I had got I had finally got around to watching when I was doing a big um DDT catch up early earlier this week. Not everything, but I have been keeping up. So I'm not I probably wasn't as far behind as you, but I okay. have not caught up as much, if that makes sense. So I have seen most of this year, but I've probably like behind in the past couple months. But I also the one match that I think we both recently watched was the the Make of Satamora match, which I thought was really good and really it kind of shows the talents Takashita has if that match was not flawed in a lot of ways but comparatively I mean what are the the Takashita matches of the year because me and you both have in the past even on podcasts talked about Takashita pretty you know pretty regularly what's the what are the standout this year because to me I think like I think this was the year that uh um now oh, god damn it why can't I think of his name the the triple crown champion um Kento. Kento uh, Mayahara has, like, surpassed Takashita for me this year so far. So, like, where's the comparison between those talking points and what's, like, the Takashita kind of standouts this year? All right. So, Kento's had a better year than Takashita. I think that's pretty safe to say just based off, like, Kento's title matches have just been 
ridiculously great. I haven't gotten a chance to see the Yoshitatsu one yet. Yeah. But from and Kai... And didn't su- have something, like, comparatively in in the KOD or the uh, DK Grand Prix to what Kento has ha- had in the Champions Carnival already this year. Right. So, like, even, like, in just Kento's title defenses, he's had Kai, Suwama, Nomura, Shuji Shikawa... And he's knocked it out the park at park every single time on top of having a great champions carnival. So it's not more a comparison between the two because I think right now it's pretty clearly Kento. But when I look at Takashita's year, I think he's probably sort of underrated. And I think that's a lot of DDT guys this year. It feels like largely a lot of guys have sort of flown under the radar as to where I think last year, say like Katsusada Higuchi. In a um really really strong year, a lot of it is tag team wrestling. But Kazusada Higuchi, phenomenal year for him, and I think a lot of people were really taking notice of the work he was putting in. And a lot of that is due to like Manji Manji and that being so accessible and running every week, and there being being another great ma- another great match to talk about. But it feels like this year, Takashida has maybe gotten forgotten by some people. And it kind of sucks because I think Takashita is just as good and showing maybe even more skills than he was showing before. And off the top of my head, there's a there's the Daisuke Sasaki and Hiroshima versus Takashita and Shinya Aoki match. There's Takashita versus Sasaki at Judgment and at um in New York. There's Takashita and I'm think it was Akito versus Naomi Yoshimura versus in Yuki Ueno. And he has a he has a singles match versus Yuki Ueno in the first round of King of DDT. There's a Haguchi match. There's a, a Yoshimura singles match. I didn't get around to watching the Soma Takao King of DDT finals yet, just because I'm so apprehensive on watching Soma in a match that long. But there's another match uh, with Takashita teaming with Hiroshima going against Higuchi and Irie. And there's the match and the stuff that you just talked about here. In the Michael Satomura match from the from from the Team Sendai versus All Out show, and the the six man tag that main evented that show, and when I run down all of that, it doesn't sound like a lot, but we're also in a year where there aren't a lot of people having incredible years, and this isn't as good as Takashita's twenty eighteen, his twenty seventeen, but I look at him. And I see all the skills he has. He's right. maybe the most well-rounded guy in wrestling. He's expressing his heel side a little bit more. Something that he was exploring in the second D-King tournament they ran. And we see him working in control a lot. And I think his offense has gotten better. He changes his offense all the time. He's made a lot of he made a lot of changes to it this year, I think. And really focusing more on, um, I think, a, being a power guy. And... Great tag team worker, great six man worker, still a great singles guy, and he's not going to be someone that I think like crack, cracks the upper echelon unless he winds up winning the um, KOD title again, which Peter Pan is next week, and I really hope he doesn't beat Tetsuya Endo because I think Endo really needs this win. But Takashita's had a fantastic year, and I'm not sure he's gonna get he's gonna get what he deserves. And and a big point that you pointed, or a big statement that you pointed out there, or something that you mentioned there was it which is the quality of his like kind of different settings and i think that 
the point of that is bigger in the setting of DDT because I think that we'll get into some you know New Japan stuff later. But I think that like being a good six man worker in New Japan doesn't matter because the you know the trios matches are not treated as they're important. Being someone who can do comedy, which is something that I've argued in the past that Takashita is like underappreciated for how solid he is as a comedy worker on top of being able to have intergender matches that are really good. All of the things that he can do. The thing that makes it even more important or makes it something that stands out more is that he does all of that in DDT in the context of a company where all of those things matter and all of those things are are presented as important, which is something that can get overlooked because like, you know, Kofi Kingston in New Japan or in WWE is a very good babyface champion right now. And he's also very good in trios matches with the other members of the New Day. But the thing that makes it not as big of a deal as it is with, like, Takashita is that the, the trios matches, even with someone who's presented as a big-time champion in WWE, don't mean as much. But a trios match in the context of DDT is actually treated as if it's still important. And that's, like, something that, that, um, that can get overlooked. So... Takashita being so good at all of those things, also in the context of be doing them in a setting where it's actually treated as if it matters that he's able to do these things or present these quality matches, really adds a lot to his resume as a as a champion and as a you know as a an entity in general. I he, think Takashita does so much better without the belt than you would think, and he's a guy that goes all over the card and. Does 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 stuff with everybody like yes. the stuff that he the stuff that he's done with Naomi Naomi Oshimura and Yuki Ueno, the thirty minute draw and then at a six man tag it was, I think it was Akito Shunma not Akito Shunma might have been um, Eno it might have been Eno but I think it was Shunma Eno Takashita some form of the all out group versus Hiroshima Ueno and Yoshimura a week after that thirty minute draw and again going out there and having really good matches with those kind of guys. And I like Ueno and I like Yoshimura, but two guys that are, rel- that are, that are relatively inexperienced, even though they're around the same age as um Takashita. And Takashita's been proven to be a guy where he can carry people to stuff that, like, more interesting stuff than they'd be having otherwise. And DDT has a great roster. I think there's a lot of people that Ueno could have a great match with. There's a lot of people that Yoshimura could have a great match with. But Takashita just goes out there and does it week in and week out with no semblance of it not working. The only somewhat disappointment that he has this year is the Jiro match. And even then, I, th- I think the Jiro match is good. But I really, I, I had, I've had him top 10 in the world for the last two years. And... It's, it's uncertain whether he'll make my top 10 again for 2019, but the more and more I watch Takashita, it's like, fuck, like he's, he, he's one of those guys, like visually you watch him and you're like, that might be the best wrestler in the world. Just based off like eye test, like Matt Riddle passes that eye test, like in spades, Kode Bushi passes that eye test in spades. Um, Jonathan Gresham has been one of those guys I've said that about before. And then. Takashida is one where every time I watch him, he's doing something new, and it's like, "Fuck, what? What can't this guy do?" Right, and that, and and that point, I think, is a huge part of his case in general, and not just his case in general, but his case as a big picture kind of guy to talk about. Because 
I'll say like something that I don't know if it's still because at the, when you first watched it, I think you said that the the Mako Satomura match with Takashita was your kind of maybe Takashita match of the year. I don't know. Like it felt like that's what you were saying at the time, um, and even that match, I feel like the biggest issue with it was that like his presentation as a star felt like it overshadowed the quality of the match early on and then for me the match didn't kind of like live up to the hype or live up to the vibe until he got focused in on the back work and then it felt like he had something going on but before that i would almost say that his presentation feeling like a top level worker who stands out and means something important until it seemed like he was doing something or it till it felt like he had a focus. It felt like the match wasn't living up to the quality that it should have for Takashita. And that is to, that's kind of an argument for his quality as a worker at this point, uh, basically to say like, he's a guy who I think could end up in that conversation. Last year was a fucked up year. Like, I think we can all agree last year was very weird about who can be the top guys. I think this year it feels like the closest thing to what you have last year in Walter for a lot of people talking about, you know, Walter famously, the coward, as we refer to him, um, as being the runaway guy, there was like not really anybody who came close to that. The closest thing you could come to this year would be like David Starr to be like in that conversation as someone who feels like the guy but you have this year, last year, you didn't have anything that really argued with that unless you just didn't get or weren't into the, the Walter thing, which I famously was not. I don't think you were as well. So that left it wide open. If you were not, you know, into the Walter thing, last year was a wide open year for you. This year, I think David Starr is the closest thing. I think I'm more inclined to be kind of bought into the David Starr thing. But I think if you're not into the David Starr thing, and you're not like bought into the 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 runaway David Starr is the guy thing. I think that now you have to open it up, and I think that Takashita is not is not a crazy, and it's honestly a very like logical answer to that question. Like, if you don't think that David Starr is the runaway guy, I think Takashita could easily be your guy, just with the quality of output that he's he's doing, and again the the level with which his matches feel important so much so that like a match that was for all intents and purposes, very great. I don't think that me and you could ever could argue that like the Mako Satomura Takashita match was not a great match. I think that like the biggest argument against it was that like it had a moment in the beginning where it didn't feel important enough to match how good Takashita is. So that feels like that's almost like a negative, but it's also an argument for why he could easily be your wrestler of the year. And then, and then the six man after might be better than yeah. the Michael Satomura yes. match. <laughs> exactly. Like the six man is great. Like we didn't really talk about it, but that match fucking rules. Yes. Everyone, everyone is great in it. I think Chihiro Hashimoto looks as great as I've ever seen her in that match. But Takashita, again, after just wrestling a 20 minute draw is still coming across like the best wrestler in the match. And I don't, I don't know, dude, it's one of those things where Takashita is so good outwardly at everything to me that I'm just sort of waiting as to when like I'm not saying Takashita is underrated or anything I'm not yeah. I'm not gonna speak like Takashita is like some hidden gem he's been the top guy in DDT for at what? least five years uh, probably like, like at like, least like, four like, years like, five max. like like going on like going on like three years now like being like the top guy and he's been a project of theirs for a while but 
it feels like he's still not getting his due on some level because I think he's one of the absolute like tippy top wrestlers in the world like like the like the crust like the upper echelon like we used to be talking about him in your Okada Tanahashi he feels like Kenny, Kenny Omega, Omega from like, like three years ago like, like that like all that dialogue like that should be what yeah. Takashita gets yes he feels like Kenny Omega from like three years ago he feels like if you're if you don't realize how good he is it's like it's honestly on you you know what I mean? It's like your fault for not realizing how good he is. Because yeah, like his performances, what what he brings to the table, what he brings in every setting. The talk about Jiro. I mean, I I mentioned it I think last year when we were doing the top 50 talk and I think it was I think it was last year. I don't know for sure, but I think it was last year when you were talking about Okada and I was like referencing the kind of the mix that Okada and Tanahashi have um, where they have like a special charisma or or chemistry with every person they get in ring with takashita has always had that you know and i think recently i was talking about it with um mike bailey i think mike bailey is on the same level of like having that special kind of chemistry with every person you know you know like mike bailey has a really weird chemistry with takashita so much a cow yes like it's like really fucking weird because i don't like soma that much but every time I've seen Mike Bailey and Soma in a, in a in a ring together, they're so good. They just beat the shit out of each other, and it just fascinates me as to where like in most other scenarios, Soma just doesn't do it for me. And especially as a heel in Damnation, he just hasn't done it for me. Yes. But for some strange reason, him and Speedball are just super fucking fun every time. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the conversation that's that's similar between these guys who are. We talk about them as, you know, all-timers. And and I think that Speedball speedball probably ends up definitely being the less of, of this kind of, like, four people that we're talking about. And it's funny because these four people that I'm, I'm mentioning about all specifically have a mix of a very special dynamic with the person in the company that they're with. Um, but unfortunately, like, you talk about Okada, Tanahashi, guys who just have something there. There's a reason why New Japan became what it has recently become based off of Dave giving five stars to, a, you know, a Tanahashi versus Okada match. And that's brought along a lot of people paying attention. Takashita and Speedball have something. They've had matches. I mean, them two together have had at least one match that I consider a five star. They've had multiple matches that are in that conversation. I wouldn't even say necessarily where I'd put everything at, but... That's kind of my point, and I think that unfortunately, you know, Takashita is a guy who ends up in that conversation of of all timers with Okada and Tanahashi. I think that Speedball probably never ends up in that conversation, even if he probably does deserve it. Um, especially with that recent recent match, like <laughs> that you were just talking about with Takao. Um, but we'll see, you know, where they end up with everything, but. When you talk about special workers, like I think that Takashita has to be in that conversation because he brings something special to every match. Not even just every match, but like again, specific interpersonal dynamics, stuff that ends up being bigger than just that match in the moment, and he has it almost all the time. So yeah, he has like he has a crazy presence now, and I'm like, like I've been watching Takashita 
for a long time, like since he first came into the company, since he for like since he was a rookie and him rising his way up the ranks. When he was first started getting the push, I think Takashita still looked a little awkward. He wasn't sure of himself. He was being put in these big situations, and he had sort of a deer in the headlights look at times. That's completely gone. He feels like the man every time he walks into a building, and. I think that's something Kento eventually developed. I think Kento might have developed it faster than Takashita did. But again, Takashita is younger. Takashita is like 24. So I wasn't expecting Takashita to come in and control the room immediately. And I think that's why a lot of DDT uh, English-speaking fans that I that I had saw on Twitter during a, lot, during a lot of Takashita's rise weren't sold on him. Just because he went out there and he was having really good matches, but he didn't feel like he had that presence or charisma. Now, a few years later, I think the dude is just so undeniable. Yeah, and I don't think there's much Yeah, there's not there's not much space left. And again, I think that 2018 is it 2019 even um is probably his year to I think I think it I don't know. We'll see, but everything feels so fucking crazy and it just swings so back and forth that I can't imagine that somehow he has a 2020 that compares to this. And I think that you might, we might end up that like 2019 is the year is Takashita's year. And if he doesn't end up at the number one spot for a lot of people in 2019, I don't necessarily know that he has another year that comes close to this, but I think that this could also be it. I don't necessarily know that this is like his peak year. But I do think that like this might be his year where he could end up the best comparatively because there's like just because of everything else that's happening around him. But I just feel like we're in we're like kind of in we're prepped for some people to start breaking out big time. We've got AWE. They've got a lot of people who could, you know, start to break out. And next year, the world could be completely different. I think that this is kind of the year where someone like Takashita who has solidly been an amazing performer consistently a next level performer, a standout special talent kind of performer for a long time. This might be the year where all of that combined makes him actually the best wrestler on the planet, you know, but I mentioned, Tim, you want to know what's crazy? Go ahead. (laughs) An Okada Tanahashi match happened in American airlines last night. Yes. And I like, and I think it's just now hitting me how fucking surreal that is for me. Right. And I guess, I guess we can talk like talk about um the G one uh night in Dallas and for like for people that might be weirdos that like talk about like the like G one undercard talk like we're not doing that. No. We might touch on like, we might, we might touch on a couple things Barely. from the undercard, but do like don't come in here expecting G one undercard tag tag talk. But uh yeah, Tim, let's get into it. All these years later, and they've like they've teased Okada and Tanahashi facing each other for like a couple times now in the U.S. Yes, there's been instances and tags where those two will be across the ring from each other, and like the crowd goes crazy. I remember one specific instance in ROH that's happening. So the American fans have always had like a proper respect. Yeah, yeah, like the American fans have always had a proper respect for like the Okada Tanahashi matchup, which was something that I always feared 
that maybe they would cut like they would like those two would come over at one point and they'd be in a ring with each other and like people wouldn't be like in awe because like that that's what they should be the this is the match that the bushy road era has been built on so i was very happy all those times to see that like that pairing get such a reception and to see see those guys have their first singles match in the u.s and the reception it got was so wild to me yeah the crowd was into it the whole way through um and on top of that like they treated it with the respect that they did even in the setting with it being a g1 block match because you know i think chad we'll give a shout out to chad i think we're both in the uh in the secret slack chat with the uh with the um famous you know uh, big boy of wrestling um you can talk about like that okada and tanahashi have had 14 matches at this point right um including this match i think is that is that right yeah. yeah, 14 including this match. 14 including this match. You could talk about that, but every time the G1 matches don't feel as important as the big title matches, the big singles matches that they've had in title match settings. Um so comparatively, they haven't had like a ton of matchups. And I do the, know that like historically as someone who's gone to ROH shows, I was always <laughs> I was always talking about, you know, to people, to myself, to wh- whoever would listen, like at some point we'll get this, you know, Tanahashi Okada matchup in ROH in America, which we ended up not getting. We got Tanahashi versus Okada in America, you know, in in a half full, three quarter full stadium. Um, but we didn't quite get, you know, the the the, the ROH setting. <laughs> this is New Japan doing its own thing. And the crowd was awesome for it. I mean, the building was not full. <laughs> I think we can all agree that the building was not full. But by this time, the building, everyone that was there was into it. And they were rocking and rolling. But uh, it was very interesting just over the years of expecting a really hot crowd to get it. And I don't know. I mean, I, I, I couldn't say for sure that it's not like a statement about the quality of the relationship between New Japan and ROH. Because this felt like a matchup that should have been protected and been a big special thing that they would let ROH build a show around as the first time that these two face each other in America. And it happens here in this setting. So I don't know where we go from here. The match itself was phenomenal. What did you think of Tanahashi versus Okada for the first time in, in the United States? Cause for me personally, I think I've I've seen people putting it as high as number four, maybe number five of all of their matches against each other. I don't know if I can go that high. I would honestly probably have this in the conversation. I, I, I think I think having it like four or five is a little insane. Yeah, I would probably have it in the conversation of being one of their worst matches against each other. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um. It was very much a greatest hits match. It was definitely a greatest hits. They are a little a little bit more aggressive. Then a lot of the time they're in the ring with each other. There's not a lot of waste in motion in it. Uh, it feels it feels very brief. I think a lot, a lot most I think, no not most of the time all the time they've been in the G1 with each other. They've always gone to a draw. So I think a lot of people just based off that history were thinking that we might be seeing another draw. But I came I came in here thinking straight away that Okada was going to win this match, and I like the sort of urgency that this match is wrestled with. It's 
it's the best it's the best in ring rivalry ever man like it's the 14th time these guys have done this in the last in the last seven and a half years and they're still doing new cool shit and you just don't get that very often for for something that happened as frequently as this match has happened over the last few years and you give people all the callbacks and all the references to past matches and pre and previous iterations of their feud and all that stuff and you still introduce new things that's so great to me and i I really don't think it's even close for anything being like the best in-ring feud ever like 14 matches and i think there's maybe one that i wouldn't call a great match but 14 but 14 but 13 times out of 14 is a fantastic percentage and it's still maybe the like it's like the third like maybe like third from the bottom or something fourth from the bottom maybe yeah but still like a great match and that so and that kind of that tells you the kind of floor and ceiling that these guys that these guys are operating at that this is the floor in this real this was still a very good borderline great match and the ceiling is like some of the best matches ever and this isn't one of those things, but that just tells you like the sort of like level we're operating on here for these guys. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the kind of the biggest takeaway I think to have from this match. Um, this is kind of going through the motions on a random half full spot show. Not even half a full. In a foreign <laughs> country. Yeah, exactly. Like probably even less than half full. But the crowd, show. but, but like, I was like, give the crowd credit. Like, for being in a super empty, super empty arena, like it wasn't like they did a bad house, but comparatively, like when, a, when American Airlines capacity is like 20,000 20, plus, and you you only have forty eight hundred people in the building, like it, the optics of that are bad. But the crowd was great for this show. Yes, and especially they came alive for this match. And you know, I've gotten reports from people that were there that the crowd was hot. They were into it. They were buying it and i can't blame them because these are two of the best in the fucking world and it's two of the best in the world who are amazing together this is i remember early on when these two were starting this rivalry i remember early on people comparing it to Shawn michaels bret hart which makes sense in a lot of different ways you know with the basis of like a flamboyant character and a more subdued character technician versus you know like flyer okay let's, everything about it that you calling tanahashi subdued was, is a little is a little wild though <laughs> I know, I know. No, definitely. <laughs> no, actually, Tanahashi is the Sean. Okay, okay, okay. Okada. Okada is the Okada. Okada is the Okada. Okada. Okada very much would, I think, I think if there was a Sean here, it would be Okada. No, the Sean is, is Tanahashi. I mean, Okada is the is the Brett, especially when it comes to, like, formulaic no, matches. Yeah, yeah, I was thinking that, like, when people said that, they were thinking of, like, Okada as the Sean. Yes, no, the other way around. Okay. Like, yeah, that's that's always been the kind of argument is that, I've heard a lot of people make the argument, as you know, famously doing the podcast with Pete this week in wrestling. Um, a lot of times he compared Okada to Bret Hart, which I I don't think is crazy, honestly. I think that it's like a pretty good comparison. You know, like I've always but, like, when when eventually whenever I wind up getting someone to do the Okada podcast with me, I'm gonna delve into like why I think more than anyone else. I think John Cena is who Okada resembles, but that's for oh, but yeah. that's for when I do like the whole like deep dive psychology is dead on him. <laughs> right. But yeah, I mean I and I've heard that I've heard 
people do the the breakdown of Tanahashi as as John Cena, but I think that comparatively doing a John Cena and Okada is probably pretty spot on. But either way, this is what that rivalry between like a a Bret Hart Shawn Michaels could have been if they were professional. You know what I mean? And these guys have been so professional with each other and they've continued to play off of this mix of personalities, this mix of in-ring style to to produce 14 of the best matches of the decade, right? We've got the, you know, we've got the um we don't know wrestling 2010s coming up soon and I don't think like is there anything you could compare to this for rivalry of the decade? Mm. I don't think there's anything that comes close. Before before like maybe before, Cena Punk. Yeah, it's like like before committing to that and trying to think, but it's like one nothing really has this sort of vol- volume. Like right. that's why it sort of that's why it stands alone in that one because there's a lot of really great in-ring rivalries that have happened, but none have the same volume of which this has. Like the Zack Sabre Jr. Chris Hero rivalry. If at worst like good matches there. Yeah, it's at yeah. worst like the third one. But you could do Cena Orton, but like that only for a lot of a lot, a lot of the Cena Ortons happened in um the two thousands though. Yeah. So then yeah, so so true. yeah, so then we get back to something like CM Punk versus Cena and then Punk versus Cena happened like four times. And they had solid matches, but but nothing like this. You know, like, I think the best Cena-Punk match doesn't even compare to this match, which I wouldn't even call, I would probably call, like, the third or fourth best, best match. That's, like, su- that's super controversial. <laughs> yeah. Like, is, it, is that really? Well, people, like, I, 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 like, I like a lot of the Cena-Punks. Uh, I like the SummerSlam 2011 Cena Punk more than I yes. like the Money in the Bank 2011 one, which set... I like the raw the 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 pile driver raw match I think is right. Which like to, to some people is gonna sound crazy because like the Money in the Bank one is one, is one with the crazy legacy, but watch that 2011 SummerSlam one again. Like the end ring work in there is like flawless. It's really really great and really smart. All time all time bad dumb finish in that match, but the end ring right. work is really great. And then they have one at Night of Champions 2012, which is really great too. So they're four for four on really great matches. So I'm not sure like what comparatively like how that would fare against like the best Okada versus Tanahashi matches. But again, like it's like the volume here is just so overwhelming in Tanahashi versus Okada's favor. And they kept doing new right. shit afterwards. <laughs> right. And I mean, compare... Like, Punk Cena had a lot of really good, <laughs> you know, like, quality in-ring in matches. But I think that also part of it, too, that, like, adds to the quality of their matches is knowing that it's, like, two really, like, unnatural athletes. Okay, You yeah. know what I mean? And so that adds a lot to it. Like, so a match between them that's really good and like is smooth i feel like you give a lot more credit to because you know that these guys can be so clunky okay that's that's, you know? that's fair and two guys who are that clunky having a smooth match i feel like you give more credit to but i feel like tanahashi okada i i don't think that i would ever describe either of them as ever having clunky matches like their their movements both of those guys are so fucking smooth you know what i mean like so natural in ring so comparatively like yeah i just i feel like 
you might give a little bit more credit to Cena Punk just for that, like overcoming their natural like not being athletes. I can I can already imagine <laughs> the kind of responses that you're gonna get for your. Uh, I'm not gonna. I'm not, I don't think it's CM Punk versus Cena slander, but I, I think you're gonna get a lot of people that think you're out to lunch and maybe underrating that matchup. But um, they've had some good matches. I'm not yeah, saying that yeah, they like yeah, but I think matches. that's like that's the thing is like you're calling them like yeah, they're good matches. Like some people think these are like some of the best matches WWE's ever had. So I think like that like that's like sort of the the gap there. I wouldn't even argue against that. I mean, that just plays into the fact that I don't think that WWE has good matches. Okay, you know yeah. what I mean, like that. Yeah, like I could definitely see that argument that it's some of the best matches that have ever happened in WWE. That doesn't make them good, you know. Like, unfortunately, WWE has has had a lot of shitty matches. Like, uh, okay, this is not the time for this, but I could like think about world heavyweight champions in WWE who have like had the big belt and I could like probably break it down to about like seven to eight of them who have been good wrestlers, you know, like mechanically (laughs) good wrestlers and that. So I'm not, I don't even want to get into this conversation right now because that's not the fucking point of our podcast. Seven seven people. Probably. Yeah. I could probably break it down to like seven WWE champions who have been mechanically good wrestlers in ring. (sighs) I don't think that that's like crazy to say okay so so, so, so we're talking about guys that have like been like the top champ in the company yeah like real champions okay not like so like so yeah, not like i'm not so and, and again i've had like what what is it like a real reign because like sheamus i think we both w- would agree like sheamus is a great wrestler but he never got like a real yeah. reign either no, no no he never felt like the guy okay i'm talking about like top guys all right yeah, like top had the championship was the face of the company type guys you know okay and i just feel like it's very limited i i would even give credit to stone cold as one of those guys even though like he was never really a good wrestler when he was the champion of the company but i would still like give him credit for being a good you know what i mean like a good wrestler who was champion okay one day we're gonna have to impact all like the seven people that you think that's a lot that's a lot i know but it's like you know the very limited even bruno was not a good wrestler i mean yeah i mean like <laughs> i would say like the first good wrestler champion was like backland and like even then he's not like a good wrestler in wwe he had great wrestling message in japan he didn't have like a lot of really good wrestling matches in wwe but i would say like a guy who was the champion who was treated like the champion who was also someone who was very good and i would say like backland is like the first time that that happened all right, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna leave this. <laughs> this is not the point. We okay. have to just keep moving. All right, Kenta versus Kota um, Ibushi. Okay. So the undercard of um, of the New Japan show, there was some nothing that really mattered. I did like the Cobb Ishi stuff. I that was that was really that was really fun. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like they could build a good showing off of those two. The actually, I really enjoyed the tag team match with a uh, Yoshihashi and um, Jay White. I thought that the trades between them two was was solid. They I have like you could. They have another one, another one of those pairings. Like they just have oddly good chemistry. Yes, and I think that it could help um, Yoshihashi in a, in a lot of ways if he continues to be a solid seller for Jay White because I think that Jay White is obviously someone that they have a lot of big plans for and i think that having you know a whoopee cushion for you to work off of in yoshihashi is someone who can you know make a name for themselves 
historically that's always been a thing you know what i mean right. a guy who can sell good for a specific guy who becomes a big star is not a bad thing you look at like even uh you know brutus the barber beefcake a guy who can sell good for for hulk hogan has a career for a long time <laughs> even in this tag match goto hiroki goto is a guy who could sell really well for guys like you know tanahashi okada and that's why he continues nakamura all guys who goto used to sell really good for and that's why he was always protected but just enough to sell for the top stars either way good tag match i thought that it was solid um then we get into let's just get into the the real stuff there was another kind of junior tag kind of trading the first important match of the night the first g1 match of the night lance archer versus will osprey I've seen people really losing it for this match. I've seen people. I've honestly seen no negative takes off of this match. So I think, I think the only person I know that didn't like your space. The only person I know that didn't like it is Brock. Okay. But like that's like his Brock. So like, like that's not gonna like right, that's not right. gonna be up his alley. I can't blame him. Yeah. I can't blame him because there's a lot to dislike in this match, and I could see why you would dislike it, but. I think that if you do give credit to wrestling for wrestling's point, which is for the crowd, I think that you couldn't hate on this match because the crowd was super hot for everything. They opened up the show proper, the G1 proper, really done really well. That was one of the most um, insane starts I've ever seen. I'll, 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 get, yes. I'll give it that. The Sasuke yeah. special catch with the, <laughs> into the chokeslam through a table is insane. And it was a really cool way to start a match. Yeah, like, in a... In, if you've seen their first match from a New Japan Cup, then you sort of know how these two work together as really, like, it's really high energy, a lot of high impact moves, kick out heavy, and there's a lot of cool shit. And yeah, I'm someone that increasingly, like, hasn't been in love with that style. Like, something like Will Ospreay versus Dragon Lee from Dominion. A lot of cool shit but i didn't love it and obviously like cool shit matches aren't gonna hit hit with front hit all the time but i have a soft spot for matches with cool shit but there's also a big guy little guy dynamic and yes and they did a great yeah job that, that. and that's exactly why this hits for me so these guys just go out there and have another fantastic match there's nothing more to say like it's really it's just a really fucking fun match it's a fun match i would say my only like big big picture issue with it is that it felt like a re-debut for Lance Archer and you didn't give me anything that made him feel different than their last match would be my only issue. I guess like I guess I, it, I guess it feels like maybe he's um more determined, more urgent than he was in the last match, maybe. But even still, I just I would have liked a little bit more dominant from him here to really feel like this is a new guy. Because even the finish didn't feel right and that's kind of old school wrestling you can do this a little bit better i think if you have a more uniform presentation you know what i mean where it's there's no argument and you just you're just buying into or everything you get exposed to is only the concepts that are being presented to you in the ring because him leaving and then coming back with a new hold that he mastered could be a big deal like you think about it one guy who i think is a good comparison to this is um Tenzan, when he came back with the Anaconda Vice, which he had learned when he went back to where he had originally trained in Canada, he comes back, he goes back to Canada again, and he comes back with a new hold that he perfected, you know, back where he 
got his roots this is where he went to when he was young and all this stuff like there's a lot of big like kind of storytelling there that can work and unfortunately i think like right now in wrestling you're kind of like really like exposed to every detail well lance archer is here and it's in his hometown and he worked really hard to book the crowd and and you know he's gonna do this hold that's kind of based off of the history of of texas which is his home state and there's so much and so at the end of it it's just like it's all these little details that chip away at like the reason why it matters and then it's meanwhile if if all the only story i got was the commentary told me like you know lance archer went home he was training and studying and he and you know he went back home to his home state and he got exposed to you know this historically big move from texas and he locks in the claw and that's the you know the, it's the carrie von eric you know or not even carrie von eric but just the von eric claw from his home state of texas and and that could have worked but for me in the context of everything it just felt like it just diminished it there was a lot to mix up into it to to kind of make it not feel as special so very good um we also have to 100 percent just based on what's very popular right now in the mainstream culture that you know lance archer's finishing move here is is the white claw hard seltzer um finishing claw that's that's the move i don't know but, uh, i still don't know what a white claw is and, I, and like it's been talked about so much i don't think i even want to know like i know it's a i know it's a drink but it's just a hard seltzer it's like uh Lacroix, but with alcohol okay it. it's, it's why has it been a thing i don't know it who, who i, I honestly don't it, know was but it, it just popped up Janela was talking about it, I guess. It's it's been all over the place in like beer blogs because of me being a beer nerd or being a beer yeah, just like a beer fan in general. I've I've known about White Claw for a few months. And then it recently popped out, I think, because of Janela talking about it. Because he popped he came out on the GCW backyard show drinking a white claw. So I think he might be like a sponsored. Uh I mean okay, but like that was like why is this all over my why is this all over my Twitter? It was it's everywhere. It was that and like people going crazy over Charlie Caruso doing a handstand. It it was a really weird Twitter for me. <laughs> that Charlie Caruso handstand thing was also like, what the? And I, I, I know I know it was jokes for the most part, but it was also like, I also yeah, I was just not as like I wasn't like super into it. I guess it was very super cool. She did a handstand, good for her, but. Like I said, Lance Archer, his finishing move is the White Claw. Just everyone has to accept that now. That's that is the existence that we live in. Um, what was after this? Uh, Folly versus after Evil. This, yeah, which was bad. Bad. Uh, I don't know. It was all right. I I wouldn't say it was terrible. It was it was, it was fine. Like I'm yeah. not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and act like it was a crime against wrestling, but no. It's, it's one of the matches that when you look at the G1, you were like, okay, this is going to be the one of the ones where you're just not particularly interested in it and you just sort of w- wait for it to be over. I think that there's a version of reality where Evil can make a match like this very good. He even did the body slam and Fale like sold for it, which is like, you know, was a big spot and the crowd popped for it, which even in this crowd was like something to say, you know what I mean? Like, this crowd was pretty into popping for everything, so I'm not gonna even say that. Like it wasn't <laughs> give him too much credit for it. <laughs> yeah, 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 because yeah. the crowd was into everything. But 
I think that you could have made the big body slam by evil on Fallout mean something. I think that there was a time, there was a point where I, I would have thought of evil as a guy who could have great matches with Fallout. Unfortunately, he just hasn't made it there. Um, that's not to say that this match was terrible, but it's just, yeah, it was just, it was fine. You know, and it's what you expect from the G1. The next match following that is Zack versus Sonata. These guys have had a few matches against each other. Um, they've had like, I think that they have they've, they've, decent chemistry. Yeah, they've had like two or three matches against each other prior to this. And I've I've liked most of I've liked most of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like the G one match they had from last year the most. But I like the New Japan Cup they had. Maybe it might have been the year before. Yeah, like they, they, didn't, they didn't wrestle New Japan Cup this year. Yeah. Uh, it was it was playing off of the previous themes. Uh, another one where they didn't really do too much different from the usual match they had with each other. But I don't know. Feel like just it didn't connect with me. It's something I think I've really just checked out on Sonata more than I was previously, and I think Zach is sort of spinning his wheels in New J- in New Japan at the moment. But you like that's everybody in that company, so I guess I guess that's something I'm just gonna have to get over. But yeah, it just didn't really like grip me or anything. And granted, if this was a really if this was a good match, a really good match, like it would have got me. And I think both these guys just weren't putting in like a great effort, so. It wasn't going to do much for me. I liked the finish. I thought the finish was really clever. But other than that, I don't. I didn't really get too much from this. Yeah, these guys have really good... Again, they have really good chemistry with each other. Their interplay can be nice. The pop the pop out into the first arm bar early on from Zach, I thought was great. Um, I mean, Zach playing on the arm work after that was done really well. I like, I like, um, I like that... Zach is the only guy Sonata can't do Sonata can't do the paradise lock to. So we yes. ha- so he has to tie him up in the ropes in order to get through the paradise lock. I thought I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah, and the and the commentary did a the English commentary did a good job trying to put that over, but they made it a little bit more confusing than it needed to be. Um I think yeah, there's like there's definitely some there's there's some room there to play around with each other. Um, I think that Zach does a really good job of, of not just like letting Sonata eat him up, which I think other people do. Um, it's weird to think of Sonata as like slowly kind of transitioning into the role of basically being um, Kojima in the Tenkoji setting and with none of the history you know what i mean like if you thought of like kojima as being only the guy in tenkoji with never having never been the the triple crown champion or any of the other like kind of greatness that he had like that's what sonata is becoming it's like it's kind of interesting to see that um i have a question though maybe it's just me why is sonata so over like it's like the actual answer is probably just like him being an Lij, right? But right. like, I guess he's he's, handsome? O- he's over know. as fuck. And this is in America, this is in the UK, and this is in Japan. I really am curious as to why Sonata is so over. And granted, I think I'm in the minority on not liking a lot of his big matches this year. I think people have liked the, at least in Japan, I think the people have liked the Okada matches. They like the Tanahashi match and all that stuff. 
But still, it just feels so weird just looking in on this thing and being completely befuddled as to why Sonata is so over. Yeah, I can definitely see that because I don't agree with it. I don't get why he's the guy, but a lot of places really like him. A lot of people really like him, I guess. I don't see it. He doesn't have anything. Is it... It's it would be really fucking crazy to find out that it's just like they all really like Muda. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> that like the only reason why he's popular is because he's connected just all, like to just, Muda, all, just but, all really big TNA fans. Yeah, like not even that, but just like that they all like you know what I mean? Like there is that thing where it's just like people connect to someone based on their history of being trained by someone, and it's like even more that way in Japan. But the next match is I don't think a combinate or I don't think it's like an example of this, but maybe it is maybe because I want you to explain to me why this match was good. Cause the next match is Kota Ibushi versus Kenta. Okay. So, so like we might, yeah. we, I don't know. We might have a little bit, a little bit of a debate on this one. Cause it sounds like you don't think this match was good at like, m- like much good at all. I wouldn't say that I don't think it's much good at all, but I don't think that it was like a great match. Unfortunately, I think it like it underdelivered a lot. Okay, so for me, I I never thought WWE Kenta was bad. So let me get let me get that that out the way. While a lot of people were saying that this WWE run was a disappointment, as someone that was watching late stages Noah run for him and. 2012 2013 well i think he's still having matches that i liked a lot like the yuji nagata gac title title match from 2013 i really love but again he's been he's dealt with a lot of injuries even before going to wwe and he was already slowing down before then so i guess as someone that actually watched that stuff my expectations had already been tempered so when he goes in and he's having these matches with Tyler Breeze and Finn Balor and he's having the Bobby Root, the Bobby Root stuff, the Ono stuff, the Black stuff, and then he gets to 205 Live and he has the Ali matches, that seemed par for the course for me. At no point did I ever think like, oh yeah, Kenta could, Kenta could, be, could be doing so much better. The only thing I ever thought was, oh, okay, like maybe he's... Uh, easing up on his strikes a bit but you can understand why it would ease up on his strikes because it's WWE like they're probably a little bit more strict on those kind of things but other than that I always thought Kenta's in-ring work was par for the course from the guy that I had seen all his matches and Noah from a couple years before that and he was already moving moving slow and acting and acting differently so when he comes here and I think the I think there's Kota Ibushi match is slow very deliberately paced uh i will say that when they were uh stanced up and training leg kicks that coda looked a lot more like a shooter than him and i know they both they both have their backgrounds and everything but i think coda just still being so fresh and agile and still being as as um, athletic as ever he just Looked like he carried that badass energy more than Kenta was, but I st- I think it came back down the stretch. Um, 
I like I like the viciousness. I like the I like the energy of it. I like the seriousness, but I will say that I understand why people are disappointed by it. I like the finish with the head kicks and how nasty it was. And I don't know. I, I think my expectations for Kenta have already been where they've been since 2013. And I think some people are still sort of stuck in 2005 or 2009 but i've already been here with this guy since 2013 six years ago so to me he's been exactly what i thought what i what i thought he would be do i think he has better matches in him yes yes this is his first match in months and i'm not sure exactly what he's been doing but i think there was definitely some ring rust there but I, I do think the match was good, not great or anything. Calling it great, I think, would be a overreaction because you just really want Kenta matches to be great. But I still think it was a good match. Yeah, I mean, that seems like the pretty fair takeaway overall um, for the level of delivery between the two. Um, I guess the only reason why I would look at it as like or look at it as like a kind of depressing, not depressing, but like underachieving is just because I think a lot of people were expecting a lot more from them, which again is on them. Um, but then it's also like Coda. I, I feel like you hit every point about what you could say about Kota Ibushi for the most part. Um, in, I, I, I think Koda, is, I think Coda sold really well for him. Well for him, I will say that he did. He also feels like a guy who shouldn't have to sell so much. Yeah, like, yeah, like if just if I was someone that was parachuting in, I would think Kota Bushi should just buzzsaw through this fucker. Like right. that's the kind of aura Kota Bushi carries himself with, and. I can, I can see why that would be a little bit of a disappointment because your image of Kenta is this like hard like hard nosed badass that's like been standing up to people and kicking and kicking their shit in since he since two thousand three two thousand two so when to come in and see him back in his element sort of and think that oh god like this tank of a human being should just run through this guy. I can see why it's a little disappointing. Right. And I think that we talked about it earlier, but, you know, Kanosuke is Takashita. I feel like t- the way that they play off of Takashita is like kind of obsession with his elders and his buildup off of the past. It feels like, weirdly, a guy who who should be in that conversation of like Takashita's like idols is playing like a knockoff version of Takashita's gimmick in New Japan. Because I've I've talked about it before, but like when Tanahashi had his first match in New Japan, Kota had already been training for like at least a year or two years, you know. And it's like it's weird that they talk about Ibushi as if he's like, oh, this young boy who's been like obsessed with these idols of of new japan for all these years because it was like there was a long time where he was already the guy he should be 
in that list of people that Takashita is like obsessed with, but for some reason, even though he's contemporary with like Omega, El Generico, and the people that that Takash or that um, Konosuke talks about in his like idols, for some reason Koda is not in that conversation, and then Koda is over here doing like a weird knockoff version of Takashita's gimmick. Have you noticed that? Like, am I crazy to see that and think that it's weird that it feels like Abushi went to New Japan and like kind of ripped off the gimmick of someone who should have been like his junior? I mean, I, I don't think he ripped it off or anything, but I do think I do like the fact that Kota Bushi, like someone that is so synonymous with DDT and DDT's legacy, and kind of Takashita, like a noted DDT fanboy. The reason why he's in DDT is because he grew up like he grew up a DDT fan and wanted to be in DDT. I do think it's interesting though, that those two guys have such similar presence, like presences at this point. Well, it's not even presences, honestly, because I think that Takashita does a better job of having the presence than Koda does. Like that might be wrong to other people, but I think that it's, that's odd. Because it feels like Koda should be way above Takashita, and it doesn't really feel like they're presented that way. Hmm. I don't know. What do you like? What do you think about that? I don't know. I, th- I think that just more speaks to how good Takashita is than anything. Yeah. Like Ta- Takashita's twenty four, and you're saying that compared to like Abushi's thirty six, that compared to a th- to a thirty six year old guy that has like really made improvements to how he physically came across as like this imposing figure. And then just the way he carried himself with, a, with like with the personality that I think is more of a testament to Takashita than anything. That's, I mean, that's probably correct. All right. Well, I think the next thing we have to get into is best in the world. Uh, ROH's recent big time pay-per-view. This is the main event of the show. Um, I know that we both thought that this was probably show of the year. You agree, right, Quentin? The show of the year. The show of the year that I didn't go to, even though it was twenty minutes away yeah, from me. Yes, didn't watch. Um, no, there was some interesting stuff here. I liked the way that Castle versus Dragon Lee played off of the Castle versus Roos match from the injury. Um, my biggest kind of was the uh, the Grisham versus Silas Young match. And as the as the match started, something that struck me was just like instantly, I was just like. Uh, it feels like such a waste for this company to sign someone like John Grisham and then put him in matches against Silas Young, you know, but then I thought about it and I was like, well, you have to like, you can't just sign people and only have them wrestle like other new signed people that don't have ROH stink on them. You have to like integrate them into your roster. But then that got me thinking about a bigger picture thing. Like is the ROH stink so bad at this point? (laughs) That, like, we're now talking about ROH the same way we did about TNA a couple of years ago, where it's like, you would be better off closing the company and opening ROH back up with a different name. Like, does the ROH name have such a stink on it that you would be better off just, like, scrapping it for parts and just picking up a different name? I think that's something that we, like, a lot of us have been saying about ROH for the last couple of years, but people would always fall back on, well, they're doing really good business. So clearly the, clearly what we're saying on, on here isn't making the biggest difference, but 
you know this. People have been saying that on, t- on Twitter since like 2016. Right. And they continue to draw less and less people, have less and less buzz. Yeah, like, I don't know. So it's really, to some people, it, it might seem like really reactionary to like recent trends, but that's something that I've been thinking for a really long time. That's something that I know a lot of people have been thinking for a really long time that ROH largely has just fall like just fallen in a really strange and fast way. And bad. Because <laughs> twenty because twenty because twenty fit twenty fifteen was one of their like maybe the best their best year of the decade, I would say, as far as like everything firing on all cylinders, creating creating new stars. Would you say that they're like for them in like their star making process, was there anything better for them than twenty fifteen? No. no. Yeah. So look what happened only a couple years later. All that work you did with Jay Lethal, Jay Briscoe, Kyle O'Reilly, AJ, AJ Styles being there, and you have the promising guys like Cedric Alexander. Like Michael Michael Elgin's career had been had been weird, and by that point he's already has one foot in the door in New Japan. He's in the G1 climax of 2015. So Elgin's on the way out. But Cedric, Moose, all this stuff, and it's one of the brightest companies in wrestling. And not even a year and a half later, like all that's getting flipped on its head. And it's so fascinating to look at how quickly the narrative changed around ROH. And it's purely their own doing. Uh, One, the TV is like, I'm not someone that really cares about things looking professional or being professional, but if you're going to sit here and air TV and do and have it be so behind the real-time events of pay-per-views and all that shit to the point where someone who just lost the title is cutting promos and backstage segments and coming out to the ring with said title they actually lost on the pay-per-view that just happened yeah. of the week of the week of the week ago or a night before that's terrible and you know that but they don't give a fuck about the TV and that's where I'd make the first change because why would anyone care when you clearly aren't putting in any effort to the TV right. and we praise them for bringing in your guys like Bandito and Roosh and bringing it bringing in dra- bringing in Dragon Lemore and Bring in the likes of Haskins and Haskins Hot Sauce and all that stuff. People were really excited. I was excited. Like, great. Like, we're really starting to do something different here. And we're not. And that stuff takes time. I get it. But at some point when you realize that, like, things aren't working, then you should probably, like, deviate from the plan. And it feels like whatever plan they have for... Your Matt Tave for your Matt Tavens and your Bully Ray angles and all that stuff that they're not gonna switch it up, and it does have a sort of TNA stink, where it came out that Jonathan Gresham has been wrestling in ROH without a contract, <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my God, thank God yeah, that and- like, now Jonathan Gresham now Jonathan Gresham can go to New Japan or blank and blank and, and do whatever," and it's like. Jonathan, like ROH should be where a guy like Jonathan Gresham thrives. I'm not talking right. about like, and, I, and I, I'm not talking about Glory Days, Ring of Honor. I'm not talking about your 04 to 08. I'm not talking about that shit. I'm talking about even as recently as 2015, 
where the pl- the platform they were giving guys like Dijak and Leo Rush and Cedric and Moose to go out there and really establish themselves on TV and really come across as bigger stars and create these names for themselves on the TV. That should that should be what Jonathan Gresham is doing. Jonathan Gresham should be carrying the TV, right. and in some ways he is. Some ways, some in some ways that's been his lane, but there's nothing to show for it. Jonathan Gresham doesn't have anything to show for all the work that he's been putting in on on the TVs, and that's what's that's what's fucked up about it. Is that before it felt like there was an end game for these quote unquote young guys and new guys that they they were bringing in. Now it's like, what's even the point now? Because clearly you put them on the TV and you give them these matches, but by the time we get to the pay-per-view, there's nothing going on for them. And I think that is one of the biggest problems in their disconnect and why there's this ROH stick now. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a huge deal. And I I said it when I used to do reviews on the ROH TV, and I'll continue to say it now. The biggest issue with the company is that there's, an insane disconnect between the TV, what you present weekly, and then the product that you present on the big shows, and there's no, there's just no connective tissue because you can do, you can pull that off when you have like WCW Saturday Night, and then you have Monday Nitro, and you have the pay per views, and you can like kind of sew everything together across the three shows, but unfortunately, right now all ROH is is like if you only had the pay per views. And then only the Saturday night and nothing in between to connect things. So they miss all of that. The Like I said, when the match started and I saw Jonathan Gresham inside this young, I got upset. And then I like got less upset. And I realized like you have to, you have to do this. You have to mix up, you know, you, the, the, the talent, the ROH talent roster with the new signings. And you have to like, make this work but then as the match continued to happen i just got more and more upset and then with the finish i was just like what the fuck is happening and then i would have been okay with the finish if it if it was building to something but then i heard like well jonathan grisham is still going to be a babyface, and he finishes the match winning with a low blow and it's just like well where the fuck is the story here there's nothing here and you've got one of the best storytelling wrestlers on the planet with jonathan grisham and he's told he told the story in this match but if I come out of the match and the story is he's still a babyface, then I'm just like not getting the real story. You know what I mean? I'm not getting what you're building to me being presented in the matches, unfortunately. So I don't know, Quentin. Was there anything else you want to hit tonight? Because I feel like I am I'm already way tapped out. There was a bunch of stuff I still wanted to talk about. There was like, I wanted to talk about uh, private party and how they used to be dick dancers. You know, I wanted to get into that. <laughs> I don't know. Are they still, it feels like they're not anymore, um, but I don't know. Jam, 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 JML asked us. Okay. Let's um, get into this. Yes. How, how upset we would be if it turned out that Sasha Banks had just secretly been scouting talent in Japan for the Mae Young Classic. I I feel betrayed. I wouldn't be that upset honestly. though. Like honestly, if I get to see the matches, if I get to see the I mean I mean yes, but it's also like everything that like has been like fed to us about like what's like how Sasha Banks has been feeling and all that stuff and it turns out that she's just been scouting so she can take more uh women from the Japanese wrestling scene. Like I would hate that. I I right. would really really hate that just off the principle of it. Yes. Um Jamie uh, Jamesy, famous, uh, not famous. 
I continuously use that term. <laughs> the episode, this episode really should just be famous. 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 Then, then yeah. famous in parentheses, not famous. Yes. Um, James, Jamesy, uh, historically, uh, guest on the, um, Dr. Keith Presents, and then now the, um, Professor Wonderland, also one of the co-hosts of the British, British the Wrestling Br- Experience. Brit- I think yeah, I think that's a British wrestling. Experience. I don't know if he's a co-host of that show, but that's a good show he has, too. Yeah, he's a co. Yeah, he's a co-host. co-host he there. asked us the coward. Um, why is four and a quarter star, in fact, the new three star? Which is like a good question. It, it was a four. It was a four and a quarter. It was four and three fourths. Yeah. Oh yes, four and that three fourths is, the, is, the, is the new three star. Yes. Um, that would be if you're Irish. If you're Irish, sure. Yes. Um, it's a really good question Irish. if you're not like me, who's already accepted the fact that, like, <laughs> my idea of star ratings, and I'll just, like, reset for people. Two stars is a normal match. You know, like, that's a regular-ass wrestling match should be two stars. So, if you see a match and it's just normal good, that should be two stars. Anything above that means that it's, like, better than just a normal match. So that's like that's like kind of the big takeaway for me. And then, you know, five stars should be a perfect match and it could never be better than it is. So I understand where that's coming from. Quentin, what like what's your kind of star rating edict that can like help set these children correct, you know? Um, yeah, about about where you are, two stars is like, oh well, that was a wrestling match. And anything yeah. after that was like like a match where I actually enjoyed right, like what was a two and a half star going on. Match and, should be good, right? Like if I say something's mm. two and a half star, that was a good match. But I've heard people, yeah, I yeah I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah, if it's two and a half, then I usually yeah. Enjoy if it. I give something two and a half stars, I've had people act as if that means it's very bad, and I'm just like, no, that's a that's a good match. Well, no, well, no. For some people, like their definition of good starts at like three and a quarter. So, for some people, if you're like like they're like that's like oh like that wasn't that great three and a half stars and then for me and you we're like oh that was pretty good like two and a half yeah two and three fourths two and a quarter and like to us that's perfectly fine but then like that gets in like the really nerdy dumb shit about like people and like where their scale actually starts right and you're so basically my point is that like if you think a match is okay unoffensive just a normal ass wrestling match that should be two stars so just keep that in mind. Like a normal wrestling match is totally fine. That's a two-star match. And if you base your star ratings on that and then do everything else around that, I think you'll get more in line with, like, things don't have to go above five stars. You know? If you just think about, like, a normal match is two stars and then a really great match is three stars and then, you know, you go from there. Like, that's... I. I think that that's a good way to look at it and that that can be like kind of the answer for for Jamesy. I hope more people will listen well, to that. Well, no, I, I want I want to make sure I properly make fun of him yes. for some of the matches that he had at <laughs> at 5 4 and 3 at 4 and 3 fourths. Right. Uh one of the one of these matches is uh the Raw Elimination Chamber Gauntlet match. Ooh. Yeah, one, yeah. One, one of those he has, yeah, has at a four and three quarter, four and three That's quarters. Wrong. Uh, Jamesy, you're insane, yeah. and that 
is an absolutely terrible opinion to have. You should be ashamed Normally of yourself. Normally people pay me to be this dominatrix over them. So you should enjoy this for free, <laughs> um, And he has the Takeda versus Kadaka match from uh, last year that people really yeah, love. that was a good match. I think... I mean, yeah, but like... Three and three-fourths? That's four, three-four, three-four. Four, he had a four-three-quarter? Three yeah. Full so I mean, higher than I like would... But, some, but yeah. some, some people went five on that, but it's like... Uh, no, like, you know that's wrong. Got it. All right, but I guess we can stop shaming him. No, 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 no let's keep it go going. Jamesy, we're going to do a special episode <laughs> of this podcast all about Jamesy's three or four and three-quarter matches. Um, but that'll be uh, in the future. March, 8, March 14th. Manabu Soya versus Chitaro Ishida. No, no, no. <laughs> no. He did not. That's a Russell 1 match? He did. Yeah. <sighs> Jamesy, I love you, buddy. <sighs> <sighs> that is... That's the, that's the last... That's the last, like, ba- like the one... Like, that's the last bad one on yes. here. And then like every, like everything else is like varying opinions, Where? but like that's the last one on his on this list where I'm like, okay, like that's like patently Dude, insane. Are you? That's you have that rated as like a near perfect match. You basically are calling that a perfect wrestling match. Like at three and three quarter, that is, or was it four and three quarter? That's yeah, four. And that's three basically saying this match is perfect. Except for, you know, like, a baby in the crowd cried at the wrong moment. You know, like, like <laughs> four and three quarter is like, there's, like, something dumb that stops it from being perfect. This match was, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> I think that's, that's fine. it. Simon asked us for how how good Simon Arch- Archer suddenly got. I would argue with the fact that Simon Archer has been good for a while. He's been. I liked him in TNA, right? I mean, did yeah, you also, he's, he's I like the good. Rock and Raven faction. Like, <laughs> he hasn't. Always, he has always been yeah, great, yeah. but like, he's always he's always yeah. been a good wrestler. I, I would argue that the Rock and Rave infection is the worst tag team name of all time. That it's not. It's not worse than Sad Conf. Fair, very fair. It so is second not. worst, but it's very close to being the worst tag team name of all time. But. Lance Archer has always been really good. I think if people think that the only reason why he had a really good match with AJ Styles is because AJ Styles is really good, you're an idiot. You know what I mean? Like, I liked Killer Elite Squad, but I also really like Davey Boy Smith Jr. I think he's a good worker, you know? Um, So, yeah, like, to say that he suddenly is good is, like, really missing it out. Um, We already talked about Tanahashi Okada having really good matches who, who was the joey chestnut of professional wrestling i think that that's a uh 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 Leano's reference i've never watched that show i don't know you don't know who joey chestnut no. is joey chestnut is uh, the competitive hot dog eater oh that's been that's been yeah him and he just he just won another title for eating hot dogs i, I would say it's kota abushi but kota abushi already his comparison would be the the Kobayashi, the best hot dog eater on the planet. So if you're going to compare him, I guess that the Joey Chestnuts would then be Kenny Omega. You know what I mean? Because he's an American guy who's not as good at eating hot dogs as the Japanese guy. I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. I'm trying to think of someone who's like real, like just really good and then just like 
no one particularly cares because it's eating hot dogs. Right. Like I don't know, like who like I don't like who's the best guy in WWE, but then like no one cares. Uh Claudio Castagnoli. <laughs> who's washed out <laughs> according to the internet, right? I mean, I said I, th- I thought he kind of, I thought you he looked kind washed. of washed in the rec- in the rec- a little a little bit sort it. of like 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 maybe like maybe if he gets something to sink his teeth into, we could see him we could see him show back up the way AJ did. Yeah. But I watched those ricochet matches and on paper those should roll. Right. Look kind of washed. I'm not gonna lie to you. I'm not gonna. I didn't see those matches, so I can't argue with you. But I do. And I love and I love Claudio yeah. like like top 100 wrestler ever. So right, like right. I'm, I'm not saying this out of a place of like. I, w- I want to say he sucks, but like, eh. I just, I feel like a, a 2019 Claudio Castagnoli can be, a, you know, t- 2016 uh, Ultimo Guerrero level. Like, bases do not die. You know this. And I yeah, feel like yeah. if Claudio was allowed to just, like, base for really good flyers, I think a Claudio versus Ali match would probably still rule. But I get where you're coming from. I haven't seen these matches. They're probably Claudio's probably washed out. He's been wrestling for a long time in WWE, and it's really easy to get washed out there. Honestly, you know. So that's not that's not an insane take to have. Um, I guess the last thing was that he wanted us to talk about uh, Kawhi Kawhi Leonard talk. He's coming home to where he belongs. To the Clippers. Oh god, I'm just so I'm so relieved and so happy that he just wasn't going to the Lakers. Like you're very close like, tonight that to being the like, great clips. You know that that was going to be an episode name tonight was going to be the great clips, <laughs> just a rip for the Clippers. But yeah, I am. I got like that was like the, that was the only thing I wanted, and then him bringing Paul George with him was just like I'm on my phone at two in the morning or whatever, and. I just get the Twitter for notifications um, from uh, Shams and uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, and it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, Paul George, Paul, Paul George is getting traded to the to the Clippers. So I was like, what the fuck? And I'm just, and, and and no one else is awake in the Slack, <laughs> so I'm just like losing my mind right now, and I'm just like, yo, what the fuck? What? But like, God, God bless our new our new King Kawhi. <laughs> Yeah, but um, you know, of course, when you want to come out to the uh, to the championship games, when the games are here at Clippers in, at the Clippers home, Quentin has a place to stay on the couch here in Los Angeles, as we all go to watch the Clippers win the championship next year. Um, everyone else can, you know, you can figure it out. How expensive are, Cl- are Clippers tickets about to be? Yeah, I know, which is <laughs> like, that's, crazy. That's about to be insane. It's fucking crazy because a season pass Clippers ticket a couple years ago was like two hundred bucks, and now it's going to be through the roof because we have the guy. I mean, yeah, it's it's so wild though. Like, think of what's happened in the last few years of the NBA. Like the Warriors' prices have obviously gone through the roof. Like Andre Iguodala had talked about the Warriors pricing out their real fans for like all the tech for all the tech bros and people in Silicon Valley. And here we are, the Clippers get Kawhi and Paul George and whoever is like, whoever has been a Clippers fan in the Los Angeles area is about to like, is about to get priced the fuck out. Right. Well, here's the thing next year, you know, we just, we have the, the Clippers tickets are basically like competing with the, um, 
with the warrior sickards, which is kind of the whole point. We're gonna we're gonna bring it back to Los Angeles, you know. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I, I, there is definitely a sort of a competitiveness that comes along with being in California, and then the Warriors taking all that shine away from like the LA teams, right? Which is having two teams. <laughs> ah, well, we finally have at least maybe one good team again. But Kawhi, I mean, Kawhi feels like the star. You know, he's like, oh, he oh, he he is like, I think everyone left the left the left the playoffs thinking like Kawhi is the best player in the world. And the only thing that would have stopped that is Kevin Durant. And then Kevin Durant got hurt. So after yeah. that it was like, oh well I guess I guess it's just I guess it's just Kawhi. But I mean, as I said, I, I I love and appreciate our new king for not putting <laughs> me through the pain of seeing like LeBron, Anthony Davis, and Kawhi Leonard on the same right. team. Like that would have made me physically ill. I wouldn't have minded it, honestly, because, you know, LA is slightly closer you know I'm just I spend a lot of time in in downtown so Staples Center is just a little bit closer than uh, the Clippers Stadium which is like kind of an East LA it's it's an I would you know I'm I'm just a little bit too white to say I would too many times yeah that's it Um, Quentin do you have anything you want to tell people about uh no just go and follow q um letter q a n d t r and that's how uh that's our twitter handle email so send us stuff tweet us stuff whatever but follow us we'll probably i promise we'll give you more incentive to follow the twitter we'll probably we'll tweet and do more dumb shit on there but follow that. Well, that'll be more active as uh, time goes on. Trailers got me sweating, but the room getting colder. Looking at the devil and the angel on my shoulder. Will I die tonight? Oh no, is it over? Looking for my next high, I'm looking for closure. Laying with me. Pop with me, get high with me if you rock with me, smoke with me, drink with me, fucked up liver with some bad kidneys, lean with me, pop with me, get high with me if you rock with me, smoke with me, drink with me, fucked up liver with some bad kidneys, told her if I die, I'ma die young, every day I've been getting fucked. Finally know the difference between love and drugs